Good morning. Hey, so through the history of the church, there has been this greeting on Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We did it earlier. Let's do it again. You ready? He is risen. risen Come on. (laughs) One more time. Ready? He is risen. risen And Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, has been raised from the dead. We thank you that you loved us so much that you would send your son to die for our sins, to bear our sins in his body on the cross. We thank you that you love us so much that you desire to have a personal relationship with us and walk with us every day of our life through every situation, through every circumstance that we go through. And Father, we uh, are are here in this room today and... um, There are a lot of different circumstances. Some people have had a tremendous week, some a difficult one. Some have heard great news. Some have heard news they did not want to hear. And I pray, Lord, that as only you can do, you would meet each of us exactly where we are. Open our minds to be able to understand the truths that you have for us. Open our hearts to be able to absorb what you desire to teach us. And Father, help us to hear clearly from you. Lord, we are totally dependent on you today, so please do your work among us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this place called Grace Hill Cemetery is one of my favorite places in the whole world. It is located uh, on the outskirts of my little hometown in Perry, Oklahoma. And if you want to get to Grace Hill Cemetery, you get on Cedar Street, and you head straight down Cedar Street through town. You pass Leo Park. You turn right, and you go up and around Shale Hill, and there you are at Grace Cemetery. And it is one of my favorite places in the entire world because at Grace Cemetery, is where, that's where I taught all our kids to drive around that cemetery. <laughs> During our annual pilgrimage to Oklahoma, I took Brittany, and then I took Garrison, and then I took Laura, and I took Mackenzie to practice operating a motorized vehicle right there in that cemetery. And we had a blast on those summer afternoons, those hot summer afternoons. We would go by Sonic. We would stop there first and get our vanilla Dr. Pepper, and then we would, we would head out. We would listen to music of my choosing, not theirs, but mine. And then they would learn to maneuver the cemetery's narrow roads and sharp turns. How many of you have ridden with the new driver? It's the most terrifying thing you can ever do. When I first got in with Brittany, I thought she had been trained by someone who at school or whatever had taught her, and the first question she asked me is, now tell me again, where's the go pedal and where's the stop pedal? <laughs> about started crying right there. But riding around Hill Cemetery, man, it was relaxing. I could sit back, I could enjoy my drink, I could enjoy my music. The 10 mile an hour speed limit was perfect. And the reminder of death all around was even better. (laughs) There's another thing about a a cemetery. It's kind of a destination spot. We call it the what? The final resting place. 
And if, and if you could put one word over a cemetery, it, it would be this word, irreversible. Irreversible. You go there, you don't get out. There was once a graveyard in Jerusalem where the word irreversible hung heavy in the air. After Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples ran for their lives. They stood at a distance while Jesus was beaten, while he was flogged, while he was nailed, seemingly helpless on a cross. And there he hung on that cross. And there on a Friday afternoon, he died irreversible. The miracle worker was out of miracles. The healer could not heal himself. The great teacher, the one who taught with authority, not like any other man, the great teacher's words were now silent. It seemed hopeless. It seemed irreversible. The disciples who had followed Jesus openly for three years, even arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, they now were huddled behind closed doors for fear that they would be the next ones on the cross. And when they heard the knock, they thought it would be a Roman soldier. Crucifixion was a form of torture and capital punishment that the Romans had perfected. It was designed to produce a slow death with maximum pain and suffering. Sometimes people hung on the cross for three days. The Roman philosopher Cicero said, don't let ever a Roman hang on the cross. And even in the Old Testament, it said, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. A slow and painful form of execution. And that's why Pilate was so surprised when Joseph of Arimathea, who was part of the Sanhedrin, part of the council, and a man named Nicodemus, also a religious leader who had come to see Jesus at night, Pilate was so surprised that these men came to him and said Jesus was already dead on Friday afternoon. Could they have his body to bury? And after he did some research... He allowed them to have the body of Jesus. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took that, that, that bloodied body. And they quickly applied burial spices and they wrapped it in strips of linen. And they hurriedly placed it in a nearby garden tomb. They needed to hurry because Sabbath started at sundown. It was late afternoon. And they needed to get Jesus buried. Saturday, for the disciples, was a long, silent day. Remorse, regret, and that continued fear that they were going to be found. On Sunday morning, Luke says that some women went to the tomb. The embalming process of putting spices, again, had been hurried and so these women took some spices to complete the process. They were wondering along the way how in the world they were going to roll the stone away from the front of the tomb. How were they going to get in? So they were surprised when they got there and found this. Look at chapter 24 of Luke, verse 1. 
On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone already rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, the other gospel tell us two angels, they stood beside them, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead. He isn't here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother, uh, Mary, mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles, and check out verse 11. This is the response. But they, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like what? Nonsense. They had seen the irreversible. Peter, however, verse 12 John tells us in his gospel, John went along. They got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Wondering, could it be? Could it be that the, that the irreversible had been reversed? Could it be that God had conquered death? Could it be that God would not let death win? Over the next six weeks... Jesus appeared in a variety of places about a dozen times throughout Israel. He always appeared to believers. He didn't show up on Pilate's doorstep. He didn't show up at the Sanhedrin. He didn't even go to the temple. But he always appeared to believers, sometimes in random spots. Once he appeared to two men as they were walking along the road. And as they talked with him, later they said, Did not our hearts burn within us? When he was there. Sometimes he would, he would appear to, to one person. Sometimes, as Paul said, he appeared to 500 people at one time. Here's how he appeared first to the disciples. Look at Luke 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, that maybe, just maybe, Jesus had reversed the irreversible, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking he was a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why did doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. Check out these scars where those five to seven inch spikes had been driven. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Check this out, verse 41. And while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, they wanted to believe, they wanted to believe, but he had died. I love what Jesus asks them as they are joyful and amazed. Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it, demonstrating to them that ghosts don't eat fish. And he said to them, 
This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in all the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. The irreversible was reversed. The resurrection, we see that God did not let death win. We see that God raised Jesus from the dead. And think about it. If he can do that, if he can reverse the irreversible, just think what else he can do in your life. Think about it. If he can do the biggest thing, if he can have victory over death, if he can reverse the irreversible, just think about the things in your life you think are irreversible today that he can reverse. There's nothing that he cannot do. He finally brings peace to your confusion. He finally brings calm to anxiety. He finally brings confidence to your fears. And he does this. He will give you the certainty that when you die, when you close your eyes and death, whenever that is, this afternoon, tomorrow, or 50 years from now, you will open your eyes and you will see him face to face. He will give you victory over death. Death cannot win. When Jesus is involved, he reverses the irreversible. Now, how can you know for sure that your death will be reversed to life? How can, how can you find the peace and the, and the calm and the confidence? How can you deal with those fears that, that hold sway over your heart? In these last few minutes, what I'd like to do is to talk about what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean when we say, I am a Christian? How does that come about? Some people believe I'm a Christian because I'm not a Muslim, and I'm not a Hindu, and I'm not a Buddhist. Some people believe they're a Christian because they're born in America, right? Some people believe they're a Christian because they're a Republican. There are a lot of people that believe that, actually. <laughs> what does it mean to trust in Jesus Christ alone? How in your life can the irreversible be reversed? Four things. Jesus came to infuse these good, this good news into a bad news situation. Four things. Two things that are not good news and two things that are great news. Let's start with the bad news first. The Bible is clear that every one of us is in a helpless and desperate state. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Two important truths in that verse. First of all, all have sinned and there is no asterisk by your name. That includes you and that includes me. We are a sinner to the core and our sin separates us from God. There is absolutely no way that a sinful man or woman can have a relationship with the Holy God. We are separated from God. The second truth of that scripture is this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, I cannot fix the problem. Everything I do falls short. My Easter Sunday attendance doesn't cut it. 
My 52 weeks a year, if I attended church that many times, it doesn't cut it. Being baptized, I fall short. Being confirmed, I fall short. Whatever your church tradition is that says you have now arrived into faith, that falls short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, let's suppose that um, out front there were some big buses, and we loaded up to take a trip together on a bus. How many of you like bus? I love bus trips. Anyone like bus trips? Okay, like uh, I'm by myself on the bus, it looks like. Okay, I'll, I'll go on a bus. You guys fly there. I don't care how you get there, but we're going to go. We're going to go to the Grand Canyon, all right? And we love competition here at the Bible Chapel, so we are going to line up. Plenty of room for all of us. We're going to line up, and we're going to try to jump across the canyon on three. We're all going to jump. You ready? One, two, three. We jumped. Anybody predict the outcome? You might jump further than me, and I might jump further than you. But it is not going to matter when the rescue workers peel our body off the side of the mountain, the canyon. No One's going to be in any shape for a participation trophy on that trip. And so it is with God. You see, that's ridiculous. You're right. You're right. It's ridiculous. You can't jump the canyon, and it's just as ridiculous to think that somehow you could do something good enough to be, work your way to the holy God. That's just as ridiculous. In fact, I would say it's more ridiculous than jumping the canyon. See, some of you think you're working your way to God. Some of you think you're actually being good enough to God. You're doing enough deeds. Some of you, are, you're, you're banking on this. You're going to pile up your good deeds at the end and hope beyond all hope that at the end of the day, your good deeds outweigh your bad. What a ridiculous philosophy of life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's bad news, but it even gets worse. Because of our sin, we deserve death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. If you're a lawyer or you're an accountant or, or you're someone who, who uses billable hours, you know how this works, right? You keep track of your phone calls. You keep track of your research. You keep track of all the paperwork you do. You keep, keep track of all your meeting. And at the end of the day, you send out an invoice for your billable hours. And you expect the person you've been working for, working with, to pay you what you have earned, right? That's the way it works. Well, sin has billable hours. And sin expects a payment at the end. And the payment, the wages that we earn, is death. Now, so often when we think about death, we think of physical death, and certainly that's a part of it. But when you think of the word death, when you see the word death in Scripture, just think of this word, separation. In physical death, our our soul is separated from our body, right? The Bible also speaks of a spiritual death where we are separated from God. And then the Bible speaks of an eternal death where we are separated from God forever. Forever. So we are in a desperate state. We are sinners and we cannot do one thing about it. That's the bad news. Now, what would you think of God 
if it stopped right there. Doesn't stop there, does it? There's this thing called Easter. There's this thing called resurrection. There's this thing where the, where the irreversible has been reversed. Jesus died for your sin and he rose again from the dead. Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. Jesus came to this earth for that one reason. He did not come to start a religion. He did not come to be a great teacher. He did not come to be a great leader. Jesus came, he said, to seek and save those who are lost. His mission was always to go to the cross. His mission was to come and die for you. Sinless sacrifice just for you. The Apostle Peter, who was one of the guys hiding in the room after the crucifixion, was one of the most outspoken after the resurrection. And listen to how he explains, so uh, just, just crystallizes the work of Christ. First Peter chapter 2, 22, 24. Uh, Peter says he committed no sin. Jesus committed no sin. He was sinless. He didn't have to die for his own sin. And no deceit was in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He could have. At one time, he said, I could call, I could call 10, 10 legions of angels to take care of this issue. But he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And check this out. This is the crux of the gospel. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus took your sins and my sins, past, present, and future, all of our sins, and somehow God laid on Jesus all of our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the cross, and he paid the penalty so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. On the cross, Jesus died for our sins. God came in an earthly body, took on our sins, went to the cross, and there he reversed the irreversible. Think of it like this. Someone you love, maybe your child, is, uh, has a terminal disease. And you learn that there is a medical procedure by which you could transfer your healthy blood cells into your loved one while your loved one's diseased blood cells came into your body. They would live. You would die. That's what Jesus did for us. He took our disease of sin and he placed it on himself. He bore our sins in his body on the cross and it killed him. He died voluntarily for us on our behalf instead of us as our substitute, as our sacrifice. Again, listen to Peter as he explains what happened to Jesus. Acts chapter 2, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. This was not a mistake. 
Jesus was not a victim. This was a deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God would not let death win. The God reversed the irreversible. And it's the resurrection that Paul says is the hinge, is the crux of our faith. If for not for the resurrection, Paul says, if only in this life you follow Christ, if that's all you're following Christ, just as a great teacher, we are among all men most to be pitied. We are still in our sins. It is futile. But Jesus was raised from the dead. He reversed the irreversible for us. Now, how can you have confidence that your death will be reversed? One more thing. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ based on the work of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Christ, the sinless one, took on your sin. He paid sin's penalty. Sin was billed to him. He took care of the debt. And eternal life is offered to us now as a free gift. We can't do anything to earn it. What, again, what could we do to earn it? We can't jump the canyon. Romans 10, 9 says this, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, what does it mean to believe? We throw that word a lot out a lot, don't we? We just have faith in Christ. We believe in Christ. We trust in Christ. What does that mean? Well, here at the Bible Chapel, we like to use this word, can't, spelled with a K, to explain what saving faith is really about. Saving faith begins with knowledge. You have to know some things. And so you can know that Jesus came. You can read his word and you can say, here, Bible says that Jesus came. He walked on earth for three and a half years. He went to a cross. He died. He rose again. That's what the Bible says. I have some knowledge about that. Well, congratulations. The Bible says the demons even know that. And they tremble. So knowledge alone is not faith. Second part is agreement. I agree with these things. The Bible says that Jesus came and he died on a cross for my sins. I agree with that. I agree. I acknowledge that that's true. I agree that if I trust in him, then I can have a relationship with God. I agree I can't jump the canyon. I agree with all that. That's great, but that's still not saving faith. You're halfway there. The N is need. I think this is so critical. Need is is what God does in our heart. Sometimes we call it conviction. God stirs in our heart. It, It comes in different ways for different people. Sometimes people reach the pinnacle of success. They arrive and they are just as empty when they get to the top as they were when they were getting started. And they said, this is, this is it. It's got to be more than this. Sometimes it's from failure. Someone finally learns that they cannot do everything. 
Someone finally learns there is something beyond them. They thought they were the self-made man. They thought they were the self-made woman. They've done all this stuff along. They pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. Why couldn't they do that spiritually? But then they fail. Boy, that's a hard lesson for some people, isn't it? Because they don't know how to fail. And so God begins to work in their heart. Sometimes it's, it's when people get married and they say, man, we've got this life we're living here. Sometimes it's when people have a child and they say, my goodness, we have a responsibility for a life, a sickness, a job loss. I don't know how God will work in your life to bring you to himself. I don't know where he'll bring the stirring. I don't know where he'll bring the conviction. But part of this is the need. At some point, we have to say, I need Jesus. I can't do this on my own. And then there's the trust. And trust is simply this. I am transferring the trust I put in myself to do the things that I thought would lead me to Christ. I am transferring all those things to Jesus. I am trusting in his death on the cross. The Bible says he bore my sins in his body on the cross. I know that. I agree with that. I know there's a need for it. And now I'm transferring the trust in myself to Jesus as the one who died for my sins. And that's the biggest question. The question of Easter is this. Have you done that? Have you done that? There may be other things going on in your life. You may be having marital issues. You may be having issues with your kids. You may be having health issues. You may be having a lot of issues. But i got to tell you today, the big rock question on this Easter of 2015 is this. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone? That's the question. Have you done that? Do you know with certainty? No doubt. But if you died right now, you would stand before God, your sins forgiven because of what Jesus did. Or are you going to try to see if your good works outweigh your bad? I promise you they will not. I want to tell you about a person here at the Bible Chapel who placed her faith in Christ alone. A woman by the name of Heidi Willis, beautiful inside and out with this tremendous sense of humor. Some of you knew her. In 2005, Heidi was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, she lived in remission for about eight years, and then it it came back. And uh, Heidi passed away uh, just last week, and uh, her memorial service was Tuesday, just right here uh, in uh, our worship center. A couple years ago, Heidi and her husband Rob uh, came into my office um, the cancer had come back and, and uh, things were not good and really didn't know how long she would have. And she wanted to talk about her memorial service. Those are never real pleasant meetings to have. But it was with Heidi and Rob, their, their confidence, their peace, their, their, their trust in Christ was so strong. And they spoke so openly about the inevitable that I asked if they would be willing to share that with our congregation. We were going through a series at that time on fear, and I asked if they would share something and put a, record something for uh, a sermon on the fear of death. And so I want to show you, I want you to hear from Heidi, who is now with the Lord. Scripture says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I want you to hear from Heidi regarding her trust in Christ and this question about 
forever, where you're going to spend forever. And before I do that, I do want to show you a little blooper just to give you a little insight into who Heidi was. I had asked her to pray uh, for us at the end, and uh, she was not very happy about how her prayer was going. So here's Heidi being Heidi. We know that their hope, everything can be fixed. Everything can be fixed by you. That doesn't mean that we need to necessarily be healed physically, but we know that you are going to, you have already paved the way. Wow, can I start this over? That was the worst prayer. That was a great You can certainly start over, but that was great. That was terrible. <laughs> and she prayed again, and it was a great prayer again. Now listen to Heidi talk about facing the inevitable, but facing it with Jesus Christ. It's a different thing to think about death from a believer and a non-believer, but that doesn't mean that a believer isn't afraid. That doesn't mean that a believer uh, doesn't have concerns, worries, doubts, fears, uh, sometimes depression, sometimes intense sadness, maybe anger. Um, everybody experiences something differently. But I can tell you, as a believer, and as kind of a logical person that God made me to be, it's just taken another step. It's maybe not when I would have wanted it, planned it, but I have. You have to come to a point what do I believe in? Do I really believe all this stuff I've been saying I believe all these years? Do I really have faith? Uh, is God really who he says he is? Do I really believe in heaven? Do I really think I'm going there? You have to come to terms with all those things. Yeah, I do. And in some ways it was a bit of a progression. In some ways it wasn't at all. Um, but it's reality. Death is as real as us sitting here talking today. It's as real as these lights. So is heaven. So is forever. Um, And I don't think that you should waste one day with having that fear or worry because you don't need to. Nobody needs to have that. You should be able to live with confidence, whether you've got a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, to live with confidence because you are going to live forever. I heard it once said, God made us in his own image. He made us to live forever. The question is, where are you going to spend your forever? Mm-hmm. And that's up to you. Do you want to live for yourself and live in whatever you want to do in the sinful world? Or do you want to submit? Do you want to give it up? Do you want to live a full life for God? Do you want to live a full life with God forever? Yeah, that's where I want to be. Did you hear what Heidi said? God made us to live forever. And the question is, where are you going to spend your forever? See, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on in your life, and God can work on that. But let's talk about big 
things first. Let's talk about the biggest issue. Have you trusted in Christ alone? It's the only way to have a relationship with the living God. Once you've done that, once you've trusted in that free gift, once you've accepted that free gift that God has for you, then he gives you the strength you need to do what he's calling you to do. Then he gives you that abundant light that he promised. But start with the big rock. Where will you spend your forever? And that's the question, isn't it? And that's the question you can leave here having answered today, having trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to know where you're going to spend your forever. And I challenge you today, if you don't know that, don't leave here today without knowing in your heart of hearts that you have trusted in Christ alone, not as a good way or one way or one of many ways, but in Christ alone as the only way you can have a relationship with the living God. None of us are guaranteed one more day. We're not even guaranteed an afternoon. And so today is the day. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Mark it down, Easter 2015, that you made it for certain that you trusted in Jesus Christ.